Amen. Amen. First Peter chapter number one, beginning in verse number two, the word of God says, uh, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, under the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. So in here, there's a description of those that are believers. They're sanctified. They're obeying. They're, they're being sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. There's important uh, references in that that we're going to get to. But look at, verse, uh, look at the end of the verse. It says, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. And one of the things that is important to understand about God's peace is it grows the more that you know him. You can have perfect peace in Christ, but the more you know him, the more you lean on him, peace can actually be multiplied in your life. In other words, you can grow, you can grow in the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit that you are possessing today, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, all those fruit of the Spirit that you see in Galatians 5, those things can actually grow in your life. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but where you're at today doesn't have to be where you end up at. You can actually go deeper in the Lord and possess more of God's Spirit today than you did yesterday. God is open for business, amen? The problem is we're not hungry for it. We don't have an appetite. You know, that's the thing about fast food. If nobody had an appetite for it, they would shut down. But people got an appetite for it, so they're open for business, amen? And the thing is about the Spirit of God and growing in God, the more you hunger and desire after God, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, the Word of God says they shall be Filled. And you see, it's a desire in our heart. The more you hear about Jesus, the more you hear about his love, the more you hear about his mercy, the more you hear about a holy God who came to earth to die for sinful men, the more you hear about the Savior that saved the world. Amen? The more you want him, the more you will love him. The more and the more you desire, the more you will receive. Amen? Grace and peace can be multiplied into your life. And listen, it's not multiplied through your book learning. It's not multiplied through your memorizing. It's not multiplied by your book buying. It's multiplied by your Jesus knowing. The more you know Jesus. That's the important thing, the fundamental truth that we need to understand about the gospel is that God used fishermen. Whenever he chose his disciples, he did not choose the learned. He, choose, he chose the ignorant. You know, that's one of the things that the Pharisees said about the disciples. They said, you know what? I don't know what's going on with these guys. They're, they're ignorant and unlearned men, but they've been with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. They called them ignorant and unlearned, but they had something that they didn't. Presence. They had presence, and not only that, they said they've been with Jesus, meaning that the presence of Jesus left an indelible mark on their life. They didn't just get passed by. They got touched, and the touch of God on the soul of man will leave an indelible mark. Say, oh, God, you don't have to do another thing for me when you saved me, you forgave me, you set me free, you made me a new creature in Jesus Christ, and you gave me the gift of the Holy Ghost. Your presence in my life. It is enough. God has touched my soul. Amen? That's that, that indelible mark. And you see these ignorant and unlearned people according to the world were giants in the faith according to God. Why? Because they allowed God to change them. Amen? Do you know that God could have changed anybody? God could have used anybody, but it was these nobodies according to the world that said, I'll be somebody for God. You know, God doesn't require you to get a degree to be somebody. All he needs is a hunger. He needs a fire in your belly. Amen? He needs a thirst in your soul that the world cannot quench. Amen? It's when you leave the world and the world no longer satisfies that God begins to look beautiful in your eyes. When you say, there must be something more to life than what there is now. There's got to be something more. And the Spirit of God says, look up. 
Look up to where your Redeemer is. Amen? And when you look up and you behold the Lamb, that thirst in your soul begins to get quenched with this everlasting, everlasting water. Amen? God is good. And he will not only redeem your soul, but he will refresh your soul. He will give you the drink of those waters of life. Amen? Those waters of life that, that, that minister to the deep places in your soul. You know those things in your life where, where, where the world just kind of rubs you the wrong way? When you're full of the Spirit of God, those things don't bother you anymore. When you're full of the Spirit of God, it don't matter anymore who the president is. When you're full of the Spirit of God, it don't matter who's, who the mayor is. It don't matter how much money's in your bank account. It don't matter what kind of car you drive. It don't matter what kind of house you live in. It don't matter what kind of clothes you got on your back. All that matters is the King of glory is on your side and in your soul. That changes everything. It changes everything. And the more, the more you draw close to the Lord like that, the more grace and peace is multiplied in your life. It is possible that you can have more peace today than you did yesterday. It, it, and, and the choice is yours. The choice is ours. God gives us the ability to come to him and be changed today, to have more God today than yesterday. Amen? And one of the greatest questions we can ask ourselves, am I growing in godliness? Am I growing in godliness? Because if the Spirit of God is in me, I guarantee you he's pulling you to God. Now, you might have your heels dug in, but the Spirit of God is greater, amen? And God's going to get you where he wants you to go. God's going to get you where he wants you to go. God is good, and God is drawing this day. God is drawing this hour. Amen? The hour is drawing now when the Lord will return, and he's calling his children home. He is restoring broken hearts. He is restoring broken hearts, and he is ministering to those whose lives have been destroyed. He's bringing them in. He's bringing them home. He's calling his children back to a place of reconciliation where you have more peace today than you did yesterday. Grace is important. Peace is important. Look at verse number three. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy. We talked about mercy a while ago. Mercy rewrote our life, didn't it? Do you know that God's mercy is enough? God's mercy is enough to change you? God's mercy is enough to change you. you. You don't have to be who you used to be. You don't even have to be who you are right now. You, you know, sometimes you go to church with a bad attitude. You, I heard one preacher say, uh, that church was so cold, if you brought milk through the back door up to the pulpit, it'd be ice cream before you got there. You know, sometimes it's just like that. Sometimes we say, move me if you can, preacher. But you know what? It, it, it is mercy that changes us. It's, it's not a preacher. It's not a choir. It, it, it is mercy that says, you know what, God? You mean that you can restore my life? You mean even the sin that I've committed? whether it's murder or rape or, 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 or whatever it may be, God. You mean you, you will have mercy on someone like me? That's when mercy rewrites a life. That's when it becomes real. That's when mercy changes you. Amen? And this mercy that we're talking about, it's available to each one of us on a daily basis. Because you know that not all of us are perfect. I know that you are, but not everybody is, right? Some of us need God's mercy every day. Some of us need God's mercy. And we say, Lord, you know, be merciful to me today, God. Help me. Amen? Amen. Mercy says you don't have to be who you were. You don't have to be who you are right now. If you will wholly give yourself to God, listen, he's the potter. He's the potter. Be the clay. Be the clay. Don't be a pot. Be the clay that he can mold, that he can make, that he can build up, that he can refire, refuel, and rebuild and use for his glory. 
allow his mercy, allow his mercy to make you be like Plato, right? Where he can just mold you into what he wants you to be. Oh, his hand, he's a beautiful artist and he can rebuild the most broken life. The Bible says in Hebrews that he takes us from the guttermost to the uttermost. Amen. He saves us from the guttermost to the uttermost. He takes us from deep down where the world has left us on the trash pile. And he restores us to a child of God, given an eternal inheritance in glory, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, crowned with a crown of glory, given a mansion to live in, to dwell in with the Lord God Almighty. God has given us that, and we didn't deserve it. That's mercy. God has given us that, and it wasn't that we achieved it. He did it. He wrought the work. That's why Jesus said, it is finished. What was finished? All the work that was necessary to bring you into reconciliation with God. All you got to do is grab his hand and trust. He did the work, and all he says is take his hand. Amen? Amen. How beautiful is that? He did the work. He was merciful to us. He realized, he realized that we were too sinful to help ourselves. We were too sinful to help ourselves, and God had mercy on us. Amen? God had mercy on us. Let's finish this verse out. It says in verse number three, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time now one of the things I want to point out in in verse number three just where it says which according to his mercy he has begotten us again unto a lively hope. Now, I want to focus on that this morning for a couple of reasons. And, and number one, I want you to see that it is his mercy that gives you new life. It is his mercy that's given you an opportunity for eternal life. It is his mercy that has given you hope. And until you realize that, you don't understand the gospel. And don't feel bad if you don't because the gospel doesn't get preached most often. It just don't get preached that often and people don't understand it because they never heard it. You can grow up in a culture where society will allow you to preach the gospel, but the churches don't preach it because the pastors don't have guts to preach it. It is not churches and denominations and and political parties that will save you. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ and that alone that has the power to save. Amen? Nothing else in this world can take you from the dunghill and put you into glory. And until you realize that you're in the dunghill, you're not fit to get saved. That's why Leonard Ravenhill, he said, I wish that preachers on the radio and TV would preach hell and destruction for two or three years. And then preach you can be saved. Because when you go to somebody today and say, Jesus saves, they say, save from what? Save from what? And that's why people make all kinds of crazy gospels, amen, like the prosperity gospel, because people don't understand what they're supposed to be saved from, amen? Amen. amen? Now, one of the things I want you to see in this is that he's begotten us again by his mercy. So it's not because of your good works, it's not because of your effort, and it's not because you're pretty. I hate to break it to you. It's not because of any of that. It's because he's merciful, because he loves you, Amen. He didn't love you because you were pretty. He loved you because he loved you. The Bible says in Romans 5, right, that, that he commends or he shows his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
That means while we were on the dunghill with no hope and having a future going to hell that's reserved for the devil and his angels, God had mercy on us and God loved us and God went to the cross. God became a man and God went to the cross and he bore our sins on the cross and he died. He literally died. He went into the grave, but he didn't stop existing. Amen. And three days later, he raised from the dead. Amen. He said, you tear, down this, you tear down this temple, but in three days, I will raise it up again, declaring who he is. That's why he told those Romans, he said, no man takes my life from me, but I'll lay it down. Amen? He, he told them who he was, and he raised himself up. And so one of the things I want you to see in this is that he's begotten us again, unto a lively hope. But this begotten again is, is very powerful and, and I want to get to it. But understand what the summation is. A lively hope. This lively hope is an electrifying hope. This lively hope is something that, that causes you to be sparked up. It's like, it's like coffee for the soul. It, it, it's like an energy drink for your soul. It stirs you up. It's when you real listen, 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 listen. It, it's, it's not that you need somebody to fluff you up. It's not that you need somebody to pamper you. But when you realize, when you realize that by God's mercy, he's giving you hope to go to heaven, that is what will stir you up to walk a victorious life. That'll stir you up. That'll put you on solid ground. It'll cause you to walk after the Lord all the days of your life when you've got that lively hope rising inside you. God didn't promise you to have a million dollars. God didn't promise you a new car. He promised you his presence, and he promised you to be saved if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Saved from what? Saved from hell. And saved to what? Saved to glory. See, the reality of the matter is our life is but a vapor, it says. And that's what Solomon said. Our life is but a vapor. It's here today and it's gone. It's just for a brief time. Our life is here today. And anybody that's, you know, growing older, you realize, you know, when did I wake up and see gray hair right there? What's, why am I sore when I wake up in the morning now? Life is a vapor. We remember yesterday like it was yesterday, but how much time do we have left? It's just but a vapor. And then when we die, the Bible says that it's appointed unto every man to die. And then the judgment. What's the promise of God? The promise of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Is that this life is not all that there is. This life is not the summation. This life is just where we determine where we're going to spend eternity. That's all. This life is short, but it is determines where we spend all of eternity. And so the lively hope that we're talking about in here, this lively hope it, it does something in the soul of the redeemed. It causes us to sing a new song. It causes us to have joy without ceasing. It causes us to love God all the time in the good times and the bad times. It causes us to know and understand that we're victorious. Whether we're on the hill or in the valley, we still have the victory in Jesus' name because where we're going is not this earth. Amen? We're going to somewhere better. We're, we're we're pilgrims, or we're supposed to be pilgrims in this world, amen? So God's given us a future, and God's given us a hope, and this lively hope causes you to take your eyes off of this world. It causes you to realize, you know what? Some people invest their life in this life, and some people invest their life in glory. Some people can't go to church because they're too busy paying their bills. And some people can't miss church because they don't want to take their eyes off the Lord. It, and you see, some of us are so wrapped up into either politics or working or, well, I'm just tired and I've got to go fish. Some of us are so wrapped up in ourselves, we can't look at Jesus. And the only thing that will cure your soul is to behold the Lamb. 
the only thing. It, it is not music. It, it's not preachers. It's not denominations or churches. It's when you personally, when you personally take your eyes off of your circumstance and your situation and you say, I'm going to put my eyes on Jesus and Jesus alone. I'm going to look at the risen Lamb of God. Just like John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb who taketh away the sin of the world. I've got a question for you today. Are you beholding the Lamb or are you beholding the world? The choice God gives all of us. Some of us are, like I said, we're so wrapped up in Republican, Democrat, this, that, and the other. You know what? This life is a vapor. People give their lives to politics, and politics is a vapor. People give them li their lives to sports or fishing, but life is short. Eternity's forever. Some people can't, can't put one step forward for God because they're so busy working to pay Webco. God has called you to a higher calling. God has called you to lift your head off the earth and put your face up. Look up where your Redeemer is. Look up where Christ is. Look up to the glory. Amen? Look up, look up, look up. And it is in that looking up, it's in that looking up that you're beginning to behold that lively hope that's inside the believer. What kind of hope do you have when, when the world is all that concerns you? What kind, of, what kind of testimony do you have? God, You know what? God did not come to make you a better person. He didn't come to make you a better you. He didn't come to help you, you know, well, now I can pay my bills. Glory to God. That's not why he came. That's not why he came. Now I can tuck my shirt in. Glory to God. I dress different now. That's not why he came. You know why he came? He came to give you a lively hope. He came to give you mercy. He came to love you because nobody else loved you. He came to be merciful to you. He came to give you a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance all the way up to your last breath chance. He came to give you hope of drawing near to him, of enjoying his presence now and enjoying him forever. He came to give you the opportunity to be redeemed by the blood. And so many of us are too busy with the world that we can't take our eyes off of the world to put our eyes on him. Amen? Well, I was going to pray, but Bonanza's on. I was going to go to church, but the fish are biting. Little did that fisherman know that the Holy Ghost was going to change his life that day. Little did that fisherman know he was going to may not make it home that day. See, this life is fleeting. This life is fleeting. Let me show you something in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. First Corinthians chapter number 6. Praise God. You know, it's, it's, it's awesome whenever you're talking about the power of the gospel. Now, now, whenever we talk about the power of the gospel, understand that it, it, it's mercy that changes us. It's mercy that changes us. And he changes us, and he gives us that lively hope. And you know what? More people need that lively hope. More people need that lively hope. You know, that's one of the sad realities, you know, is that most, most church-going folks, they might have hope, but it ain't lively. It ain't lively. You know, if you do any electrical work, you know what a live wire is, right? If you touch it, you know you touched it. There's no doubt about it. If you touch the live wire, you know it. You may not live to tell about it, but you know it. It, it, it does something to you. It, it, it gets you going. You definitely don't need coffee after you touch a live wire. I can say that because I've done it before. However... If, if, the, if there is truly a lively hope in us by the Spirit, when we touch other folks' lives, we should have that same influence. A lively hope is a live wire. It, it, and you know, that's one thing that the church needs today is, is that the church-going folks get alive. If we get a lively, instead of, glory to God, one day I'm going to be home. And you know what? 
It's a lively hope that God gives us. It's exciting. There's a fire in our soul. Amen? It's that thing that rises up from deep down within saying, glory to God. He changed my life. Not only did he change my life today, but he gave me a new hope and a new future and a new name in Jesus Christ. Amen? It's something that stirs the soul. Too many of us, too many of us, we're not live wires anymore. Amen. We 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 done got too caught up in 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 politics or American Idol or or you know our sports teams or whatever it is, and we're not a live wire anymore. We we we're just a, the same kind of wire of the world. We just. We're just sanitary just a little bit because we go to church on Sunday. So we don't say the same words that they say. We're just a little bit, we, you know, they're R-rated and we're PG-13. It'll only slip out when we're mad. That's not the kind of life God called you to be. That's not the kind of Christian God called you to be. God called you to be light in darkness. God called you to be salt in the earth. God called you to be come out from among them and be ye separate unto me, the Lord says. Be holy unto me, the Lord says. God calls his people out of the world unto himself to be set apart and consecrated. Why? So you'll be weird? No, so he can use you. So he can use you. So that he can receive glory through a changed life. God never called the church to be PG-13. Amen? He called you to be holy. He called you to go from the world, from R-rated to holy. You passing PG-13, PG, and G up. You're going all the way to H, which is holy. So look at verse number 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's gospel basics, right? The, the, the unrighteous don't go to heaven. This is gospel basics. Gospel basic is not everybody goes to heaven. Only those that are righteous. What is it to be righteous? Only those that are born again. Born again, why? Because they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not, it is not those that learn how to control themselves. It's not those that put duct tape over their mouth so they don't say that dirty word at work anymore. That's not... That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the unrighteous don't go to heaven. It's, it's not whether you put duct tape on your mouth, whether you want to say a dirty word. and don't. It's not that. It's that God changed you. It's that God took you from an unrighteous person and God restored you holy life, holy living, and he made you righteous by your faith in Jesus Christ. This is gospel basics, okay? This is gospel basics. And, and one of the things that we need to realize is that, like, a, you know, if you've heard me preach very often, you've heard me say, you know, God, didn't, God did not save you to give you better manners. He saved you to give you a new life, to make you a new creature in Jesus Christ. That's why it says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, you know, old things are passed away, behold, all things are what? Made new. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. New creatures. You're not who you used to be or you shouldn't be who you used to be if you're in Jesus. Amen? This is the foundational truth of the gospel. This is not about you becoming a missionary. This is not about you. This is just about you being a new you. This is about you being a completely different person in Jesus' name. This is about not you having uh, duct tape over your hands so you don't touch it anymore. This is about the desire leaving. This is about no longer desiring the unholy thing, no longer desiring the things that put him on the cross, no longer loving darkness, now wanting light. This is about no longer loving the things that, that, that God hates, but now loving what God loves and hating what he hates. So this gospel truth, this is about him changing us, right? Creating a new desires in us. This is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in our life. He's constantly, he's constantly consecrating us, constantly sanctifying us, constantly changing us, but the moment we're born again, we're supposed to be new creatures in Jesus. New Old things passed away. Amen? This is the beautiful part of the gospel. Just watch this. 
so that the, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to this. Be not deceived. You know why God said that? Because you can be. You know how many folks I talk to, they know it all, done it all, been all, done all, and then they just fall off? You, you know why we fall off is because we don't think we can be deceived. We think we know more than God. But God says, be not deceived for a reason. Because if there's an area where the enemy's going to attack you, it's in deception. So be not deceived. This is in this. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, before, and I, this is not the main part of the, what I want to preach on, but before I go on, I just got to cover this because of the hour that we live in. Fornication is whenever you're uh, sexually involved with someone who's not your spouse. I hate to break it to you. It's, you know, the year that we live in, pastor got to say it. Well, somebody's got to. Effeminate is, and don't get confused about what effeminism is. Effeminism is when a man is not being a man. And, I, and I'm not just talking about men that dress up like girls because that's involved in it, but it, it is actually the, the true meaning of effeminism in this passage is about a man not stepping up to responsibility. You a man, you're supposed to be the leader of your family. Men are supposed to be the leaders. Men are supposed to man up in Jesus' name. Effeminism is where they shrink back. Just, that's gender, that's promoting one gender over another. Well, you know what? I'm just, that's what God says. Effeminism is when men are not being men, but they're being feminine. Shrinking back from manly duties. Abusers of themselves with mankind, that's talking about, in our, in our language, homosexuality. God calls it sodomy. God also calls it an abomination. Unless there's any confusion, if you think God is okay with it, go take a tour of Sodom and Gomorrah. It ain't there. That's how God feels about it. God calls it an abomination, and he's always called it an abomination. You can know it's an abomination because God didn't make man and man or woman and woman. He made Adam and Eve. He made Adam and Eve. And... and, and, and this stuff's growing in the church. The church is getting more acceptance of this stuff every day. It's not because churches are suddenly growing weak. It's because we're worldly, and that spirit is alive and well in the world today. And we're, we, because we're not full of the Holy Ghost, we're allowing the spirit of the world to come into the churches. And, and, and thieves, you know what that is, and covetous, you know what that is? This American dream. Prosperity gospel covet things unless God gives it to you you shouldn't you know what if God wants you to have it you'll get it Amen. don't be covetous Amen. be content with what you got Amen. first Timothy chapter 6 godliness with contentment is great gain the, the love of money is the root of evil all evil don't be covetous drunkard I, I know well I like drunkard you, you gonna tell me? You gonna tell me that God doesn't have a breathalyzer? God knows. God knows. God is against us being drunk. And you might say, "Well, well, I can have one beer. I can have one shot." Really? What's God's limit? Because He doesn't say. He just says, "Don't be drunk." As far as I'm concerned, the minute you take a drink, you're more intoxicated than you were. And until you can find that God said it's a .08 or a .07 or a .10 or whatever, then you're playing with fire. You're playing with fire. If God said, hey, you know, don't get close to the line, you'd be going, well, how close can I get then? When God said the whole time, don't get close to the line, you're saying, well, how close can I get? No, you're missing God's heart in the matter. God's heart in the matter is walk the other way. Isn't that his heart in the matter? 
So he said, don't be a drunkard. And, and, and then he continues on, nor revilers, nor extortioners uh, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to this. This is the part I want to get into is verse number 11. And such, come on, y'all, were, were some of you. You know what? This is one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible because it talks about, listen, this is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel, it does not change your past. It changes who you are today, and it changes your future. That's the power of the gospel. gospel the gospel is not that you get a different past. It's that you become a new creature today in Jesus' name. New. Not just that your hands are duct taped. No. New creature. Not the same old, same old, you just been whipped a lot. No, new creature, new desires, new heart, new things that you love, new ambitions in your soul, new creature. And that new creature is new today and has a new future. And what is that future? It's a lively hope. It's a lively hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. So here's the power of the gospel. God changes who you are today, and he changes where you're going for eternity. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. That's the lively hope that he's talking about. He changes who you are today, and he changes where you're going for eternity. It's not about who you were. Look at that. And such were some of you. I want you to know that whenever you go to a church, there was folks just as bad as you was. And you don't need to compare who was the worst. Amen? You don't need to compare who was the worst because in God's eyes, sin is sin. A, a, a little lie will keep somebody out of heaven. Sin is sin. Liars will not go to heaven. That's what he said. What if it's a white lie? A lie is a lie in God's eyes. You think God sees a lie as black lie or white lie? God's eyes, a lie is a lie. God's holy. God is righteous. God doesn't justify sin. He justifies sinners who believe on Jesus. Come on now. He doesn't excuse sin. He purges sin through his own blood. Now listen, it says, And such were some of you, but, but something's happened. You're washed. You're washed. This, this, is, this is the gospel. You see, it's not that you became, you, you started doing something better. It's not that you had an epiphany about how to have a better life. It, it, it's, it's not that you learned, you know, how to write prettier and you taught yourself how to not use foul language and now, you know, you're just a social drinker instead of a bar drinker and now you're just this and you, you don't, I, I don't do all that I used to. It's not that. The gospel is, have you been washed? Washed in what? Washed in the blood of the lamb. Have you been washed? Have you gone from darkness to light. You know, it says in Isaiah that though our sins were as scarlet, we'll be made white as snow. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us and redeems us from all our iniquity. And it is that washing that every child of God must go through in order to go to heaven. That washing, it's, it's not about duct tape on the mouth or the hands. It's about a clean heart. It's about God restoring to you and God changing you by plunging you in the river of the blood of the Lamb and raising you up to new life in Jesus' name. This is about God taking your sins and washing them in his own blood. By his stripes, we were healed. That scripture is talking about healing. It is also talking about re redeeming. It's talking about taking you from darkness and bringing you into his marvelous light. And so one of the things that, that this is the, the foundation of the gospel is that you're washed. You're washed in the blood of the lamb. You're not who you used to be. You've been made new because Jesus washed you in his own blood. You came out on the other side a new creature. Amen. 
And you might say, well, I still look the same. Yeah, but in God's eyes, do you? You see, your flesh is going to look the same, although the countenance of his presence should be upon you. Amen? The countenance of his presence should be upon you. The, the, the dog knows when its owner gets saved because it don't get kicked anymore. Even a dog knows when somebody gets saved because it no longer has to run and hide in the corner when you come home from work. People ought to know, right? They may not know everything that's happened, but they know you're not who you used to be, right? Yeah, has anybody ever told you, well, why don't you go where you used to go? Why don't you do what you used to do? Why don't you get mad like you used to get mad? Remember those times you used to go off, you used to fly off the handle, right? That's who I used to be. And such were some of you. That's who I was. That's not who I am now. That's not who I am in Jesus' name. God has changed me. How? He washed me by his own blood. He washed me. He, he, he took me. He had mercy on me. Amen? He had mercy on me. I was full of sin. I was full, I was full of God's wrath. I deserved everything that hell can give me. But he took me and he placed me in his own blood. And he washed me. And he raised me up to new life in Jesus. I've been, my soul has been washed by the blood of the lamb. Amen? That's, that's what happens when you believe on Jesus. When you believe, when you go to Calvary and you call upon the name of the Lord and, and you go to your knees and you say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins, God. Please save me. And while I tell people, I say, don't get up till God saves you. Well, when am I supposed to get up? You'll know that you know that you know. What, what do I mean by that? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 that the Spirit bears witness. This is what the old saints used to call the, the, the witness of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will bear witness when you've been born again. Amen? You don't need some man to tell you. You need the Holy Ghost to tell you. Because it don't matter what a man thinks. It matters what the Holy Ghost says. And the Holy Ghost, according to the Bible, will bear witness. Amen? Amen. He'll tell you. Amen. He'll tell you. So the Bible says you're washed. Listen to this. But you're sanctified. You know what the sanctification is? Sanctification is is a lot. Now, if somebody gets born again and they die that day, when God looks at them in glory, they are completely sanctified. But if God doesn't take you home right away, not only are you spiritually completely sanctified, but he also has a sanctifying influence on your life. What does that mean? Sanctifying means cleaning, cleansing, making you more holy. This is one of the, 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 the hidden works, right, that's not preached about God, is that God is continually drawing you into a more consecrated walk with him. He is sanctifying his people day by day. He wants you to be more holy today than you were yesterday. He wants you to be more dedicated to his cause today than you were yesterday. Amen? He's continually sanctifying his children why? Because that's who God is. God is holy. God is holy, holy, holy. And a scripture that don't get preached too often, God says, be ye holy, for I am holy. Amen? You, you want to come close to God? Get ready, because God's going to do a work in you. God's going to cause, if, and if you're not growing in sanctification, if you're not growing in holiness, you, you, you need to go back to Calvary. And, 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 and get a fresh glimpse of the Lord of glory on the cross. Get a fresh glimpse of what it cost him to purchase your soul. Get a fresh glimpse of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Get a fresh glimpse of his, of his glory, his glorification as he rose from the dead and as he ascended up to glory. Get a fresh glimpse of what it cost him to redeem you. And as you... As you Behold the Lamb, God will draw you to himself. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So if, if he's lifted up and if you will behold the Lamb, he will draw you closer to himself more today than yesterday. If, if you are alive today and there's something on the inside of you, he's pulling you to himself. He's pulling you because he's, listen to this, 
you, your flesh, might be content with where you were yesterday, but the Spirit of God inside you is not. Amen. Don't, don't ever forget, there's always going to be a battle between your flesh and your spirit, according to Galatians chapter 5. The flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. And, and if you're not growing in consecration and sanctification, understand your flesh is resisting, but the spirit of God that dwells in you, the spirit of God that dwells in you is desiring, right, to be more like God today, to, to do whatever is necessary to do a sanctifying work in your life. Sanctification is when you're growing in consecration and growing in holiness. Listen to this. Growing in your desire to be like him. Not be him, to be like him. I want to be holy like him. I want to be righteous like him. I want to be like him. That's the, that is holiness. Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's what, that's what sanctification means. Amen? And far too many of us resist the sanctifying influence of the Holy Spirit. But always remember, Holy Spirit... Holy Spirit, he's holy. And anything that the Holy Spirit touches, he's doing it in a spirit of holiness. Always remember that. The Holy Spirit is holy, and anything he does, he's doing a work of holiness. So if, if you're not growing in holiness, you're not growing in the Spirit. You cannot separate holiness from the Spirit of God. He is the Holy Ghost. And, and, and if any of us are not growing in holiness, we should be concerned for where we are because we're not allowing God to do all that he needs to do. Our flesh is overriding the spirit. Go back to Galatians 5 and read that. Read Galatians 5, 16 and 17. They're at war with one another. Amen? And so one of the things that you need to see is that in this, in this gospel work is the Holy Spirit is drawing us out of the world and unto himself. And look at the, the, look at the end of this verse. Uh, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Now listen, the, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that's talking about the authority, okay? It's talking about the authority. It's kind of like if you tell somebody, stop in the name of the law. It's like in the authority of the law, stop. And so you're justified by the authority of Jesus or in Jesus' name. Justified means what? It means that God has brought you from where you were and put you in a place where he can look on you. That's what justify means. It means if you've ever remember a typewriter, if you ever remember a typewriter and you hit the justify button, it would line it all the way back up to where it was. Right, you remember pecking those keys, pop, 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 pop. Then you hit the justify button, and it takes it all the way back to where it used to be. See, justification takes you all the way back to God. Justification takes you to God. It takes you from being a sinner, and it justifies you in God's eyes. And that justification takes place not by your effort, not by your transaction but by the transaction of Jesus on the cross, by what he did for you on the cross, if you will believe on that, if you will believe on his work that he did, he said, I will justify you. Why? We are justified by faith, right? Justified by faith. The just shall live by faith, the Bible says. Faith in what? Not faith in yourself, not faith in you doing a better job, not faith in you turning over a new leaf, but faith in him. What he did is enough to justify you in God's eyes. Do you trust that today? Do you trust that Jesus did enough to bring you to justify you in God's eyes? This is the gospel. This is you are wrong in God's eyes. And you can't do anything about it, but Jesus did. And if you will completely and wholly trust what he did on Calvary, God says that is what's necessary for me to justify you. Not you stopping doing this. Not you not doing that. It's you trusting him. The just shall live by faith and not faith in yourself, faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
That's the gospel. Now, let me, let me just share something uh, real quick with you. If you'll go to Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter number 1. I'll tell you what, but let's, for the sake of time, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. Just for the sake of time, let's go there. The 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and he says in verse number 17, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. It's an important principle that, that we need to understand is whenever you're talking about the power of God in somebody's life, God does not use eloquence. Go back to what I was talking about, about the, the fishermen. If God was one to use eloquence, he would not have picked fishermen. And nothing against fishermen, but it's just it's part of the gospel narrative. It's because God used everyday, ordinary folks. Sometimes folks that can't even talk right. Go look at Moses. Moses couldn't talk. And God used him. And God used him in a mighty way. And these, these gospel fishermen, Peter and, and James and John and all these guys that, that wrote the New Testament, these are all just ordinary folks. They weren't eloquent. They, the only one that was a Ph.D. was Luke. He, he was a doctor. <laughs> but, but everybody else, they didn't, have the, they didn't have the degree. They had the post hole digger, you know, kind, Ph.D. And they were just ordinary, everyday folks. Sometimes couldn't talk right. Sometimes would trip over their own words and, you know, Look at Peter's life. He sometimes just kind of gets out there. But God used him. God used him. Why? Because God's not interested in the wisdom of words. God's not interested in, the, it, it, God's not interested in our ideas. God's not interested in us selling hot dogs and, and having a carousel out, outside the church. And God's not interested in, in, the, in the flashing lights and the neon signs. God's not interested in that. God's not interested in us having conferences and conferences and conferences and, and, and you know, all this. Kind of, God's not interested in that. You know what God moves in? He moves in when some ordinary, everyday folk just believes him and preaches what that book says. If some ignorant and unlearned folk who happened to be with Jesus would pick up that book once again, dust it off, and declare what saith the Lord, then God will move in America again. God will stir up the church, and God will save souls. But the problem is we don't trust God's way. We don't trust God's way anymore. We want to do our thing. We want to build our name, our church, our denomination. We want to promote our way and not God's way. God's way is not the wisdom of the world. It's not with wisdom of words. It's with the power of God to save. It is through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ because God doesn't want a man to get the glory. He wants all glory to go to the, to the Lamb. Amen? Remember some preacher saying, God's got enough glory. It's time for us to start receiving some. Not only hogwash, heresy. All glory goes to God. To God be the glory alone. Glory to the Lamb of God. Glory to his name. Glory to God. Amen. And so it's not the wisdom of words that God's looking for. It's not that you come up with a better way to give out more hot dogs and more neon lights. God's not looking for that. He's looking for men and women, just simple folks who will believe his word, who will say his word is enough. When God anoints, when God anoints, he will appoint. Amen? And God will raise up common everyday folk to say, you know what? I'm not trusting in any other method but God's. I'm not trusting any other method but God's. I'm going to preach that book come, you know what? I'm going to preach that book come the morning or night. I'm going to preach it whenever I rise and when I go to sleep. I'm going to preach that book whether anybody's listening or not. 
John, John Wesley, I love that guy. He's, he said, uh, if you read his diaries, he would go and he would preach in the open field. He would ride his horse, amen? You know, preachers today, they wouldn't do that. He, he, would, he would ride his horse from town to town, field to field, and he said, uh, today, four people came. Today, five people came. Today, ten people came. He would, and he would preach sometimes three times a day, just going from field to field, neighborhood to neighborhood. And then and if you read in his journal, after two weeks of that, after two weeks of that, above 5,000 people came today and fell out under the power of God. You know why? Because he didn't, he didn't draw people. He didn't draw people with, with, with flying elephants and, and, and light shows and magician tricks and anything like that. He stood on the power of the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. And you know what? Too many people won't say that anymore. Thus saith the Lord. This is how it is. This is black and white. This is what God said and nothing else matters. What God said is final. It's authoritative. It is the be all end all of everything that should be. And too many people shrink back from saying thus saith the Lord because they want to say. Amen. It don't matter what we say. It matters what God says. Amen. So he said Christ sent me not to baptize but preach. That's what we need people to do today is preach. We don't need arts and crafts. We need to preach. We don't need chicken dinners. We need to preach the gospel. It, it, it would be one thing if we was living in the book of Acts. Then I'd say, okay, let's have some chicken dinners along with our revival. But the church is dead today. You preach like this, you run folks out. One of my favorite preachers, he, he, said, he said, I would that you had the kind of church where people were as afraid to come, where people would run from your church. That's the kind of church I wish you would have. What did he mean? Because they knew if they came to your church and sat under the preaching, they would have to get changed by the power of God. Amen. If people, your flesh don't want to get changed, amen? So you run away from those kind of churches. That's what every church should be today. Every church today should be preaching, not pampering, preaching, not profiteering, preaching. But what we got is profiteering and pampering and every other thing under the sun except for preaching the gospel. And even if you do hear preaching, it's preaching their denomination. Your denomination won't get you into heaven. Amen. It's the preaching of the gospel that will change you and give you new life and wash you and cleanse you and make you whole in Jesus' name. Amen. So Christ sent me not to baptize but preach the gospel not with wisdom of words lest the cross of Christ should be made of none of Pastor, you just talk about the cross too much. Well, you know what? It's all about what Jesus did on the cross. We're not glorifying that wood. We're not glorifying that. We're glorifying what he did, what he purchased on that cross. Amen? And listen to this. Listen to this. This is why you preach. This is, now you can say, well, I just think that we should sell hot dogs and have a carnival. Well, you know what? That's okay. You can think that. And you can say, well, I, I understand it says preach, but why? Why? Why is it so important that we just simply preach the word? Why is it so important? Look what this next verse says. For the preaching of the cross. Hello? I don't like talking about the cross. Well, you know what? You're not going to get the end result of this verse. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Do you want to experience the power of God? Behold the lamb on the cross. Behold the lamb who is victorious over death. Behold the lamb who has risen to glory. Behold his finished work on the cross. And then you'll know the power. You will not know the power of God until you come to the cross. 
in anything and everything apart from the preaching of the cross will exempt you from the power of God. That's why there's so many powerless Christians or Christianettes in the world today is because they get sermonettes and they don't get the sermon. They don't get the preaching. They don't get the full gospel of Jesus Christ because only through the preaching of the cross will the power of God be produced. So you can talk about how to be a better you, but if you're not preaching the cross, it ain't going to happen, Jack. You will never be who God called you to be. You will never go from darkness to light. You will never go from unholy to holy. You will never go from sins as scarlet to white as snow until the cross of Jesus Christ is preached. Till you say, thus saith the Lord. Then and only then will the power of God fall upon a people. And when the cross is preached, the power comes down. Say, I, I, I just don't feel God anymore. Then go back to the cross. You try to find the power of God under a rock, it ain't under a rock. You go try to find the power of God at a carnival, it ain't at a carnival. You go try to find the power of God in a smoke machine, it ain't in a smoke machine. It's at the cross, and it's always been at the cross, and it'll never leave that. That's where the power of God is available for you. That's where God changes souls. That's where he redeems rotten sinners. That's where he gives us a new future and a new hope. That's where he births inside of us. Just like Peter said, a lively hope. He does it at the cross. It's when you go to the cross, that's where you'll encounter the power of God to change you, to change your family, to change your church, to wake folks up out of their slumber, amen, to turn a nation around. Don't you think our nation needs to get turned around? If you think our country needs the power of God, then we need the pulpits to start preaching the cross and we need the folks inside the church to go out into the communities and start preaching the cross. We need the power of God and it's only going to happen when we come back home to the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to ask you this morning if you've got the lively hope inside you. That lively hope is produced by the power of God. It gives you a new future and a new hope. It, it doesn't change who you used to be. It changes who you are today, and it changes where you're going for eternity. Do you know the power of God today? Do you know the power of God? And listen to this. Listen to this. It's, it is a sanctifying power day by day. Are you stronger today than yesterday? Are you growing in godliness? Are you growing in holiness? Because look, look, I, you know, 15 years ago is 15 years ago. God's interested in who you are today. The power of God is available for you today to, to restore life. You know, one of the most beautiful things in the Bible I don't have time to preach it, but one of the most beautiful things in the Bible is, is whenever Israel, uh, whenever they, they dug up these wells of water, and, 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 and it was good water, right, because it's a desert kind of climate. And, and the enemy would come along every time, and they would stop up those wells of water, not because they weren't thirsty, but because they didn't want the people of God to drink from the water of life. So the enemy would come and he would plug up that hole. Listen, the enemy will do anything and everything to keep you from that book. He'll do anything and everything to keep you off your knees. He'll do anything and everything to keep you away from a church that preaches the cross. He'll do anything and everything to cause doubt, make your mind wander, and all kinds of stuff. But listen, he'll, he will fill up that hole if you let him. If you let him. But this is the most beautiful part. Those old saints, those old, those old Hebrew guys, they would go out and they would say, now our father bought this land. He bought this. This land belongs to him. This land belongs to him. 
and I'm going back to where that well of water is and I'm going to call on him again and I'm going to dig up and those rivers of living water are going to flow once again in Jesus' name. You dig. You dig by believing on Jesus. Dig those wells of water and the water will flow from God's throne to your soul right now in Jesus' name. He will be a fountain of living water even in a desert climate because the water doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from man. It doesn't come from a conference. It doesn't come from a denomination. It doesn't come from a political party. It comes from the throne of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's available for you today if you'll call on his name. Has the enemy stopped up your well of water? Go back to the cross. That's where the power of God caused that flow. Go back to the cross. Amen. Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that it's the preaching of the cross where the power of God is.